0: 71 of Below the Belt. Um, some of you will notice on episode 72 that I said episode 71. This is the episode 71. I've recorded two in one day and so I'm going to be spreading them out. And you guys are to, so apologies in advance for that, everybody listening at home. Uh, today I'm joined on Skype by uh, boxing journalist, author uh, Paul Zanon. How are you, sir? Yeah,
1: I'm good, Cam. Always good to catch up with you. Uh- bit strange that we're doing it in this particular way and hopefully we're never going to have to do this again under these circumstances but irrespective great to speak with you.
0: yeah i know we usually we're usually sat in some boxing themed pub in central london uh (laughs) doing this kind of thing aren't we or the last
1: the last time we was
0: together paul was at the peacock wasn't it
1: yeah i mean if we think about the last sort of few venues i mean the the peacock gym and before that it was at some um flash uh, private cinema venue i think we just watched yes, the of uh, i am duran mm-hmm. um which again w- 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 was fantastic and before then yeah i think it was at sunbuza so um yeah we, we've certainly been doing the rounds in terms of uh g- great venues and um yeah so and I, I think before then it was uh mark butcher's uh um abode and it was. um yeah it was yeah so uh but now it's yeah we, we're going virtual
0: we are. We are going virtual, you know, because of current circumstances are all kind of locked up at home. But um, I think as soon as this lockdown is lifted, we need to go and bang on Mark Butcher's door and go and, and reunite, reunite the sugar babes and get back together.
1: and uh... Absolutely. Absolutely. Turn up with some uh, some big old sombreros some tequila in our hands and start mixing some margaritas up, you know
0: yeah because we need to celebrate Cinco de Mayo weekend because it's Cinco de Mayo weekend this weekend uh, for all of, all of our Mexican Mexican listeners listening at home and it's become a fixture in boxing hasn't it Cinco de Mayo um it, it wasn't always what's kind of your understanding of like the history of Cinco de Mayo weekend and why it became such a big thing in boxing
1: um I'm not I, I, so obviously massive Mexican um holiday um you know it's uh, you, you, like your, your Mardi Gras and everything else um became very celebrated and I think um obviously uh Mexican heritage boxing is firmly ingrained in that and um and then you if you tie up um a national favorite sport along with uh, with a bank holiday in the way of Cinco de Mayo uh you're on a winner and um and that's it but I think you know if, if you look at uh Canelo you can pretty much look at the last few years. There has been a fight around Cinco De Maya, where he is um, he, he's he's been doing it. And um, you know, De La Hoya was probably one of the bigger ones um, back in the day who was doing that. And uh, even um, even Floyd Mayweather loved it so much, he uh, he had to go and wear the sombrero and the whole <laughs> Mexican for um, De La Hoya. I know, I know you're a big fan of uh, of Floyd um, who yeah. lost that fight, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's fun to pretend, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Eight rounds to four, easy work for Floyd. I think it was it was Oscar De La Hoya who me- I think it was him that made it the kind of the weekend for boxing, the main weekend, and uh, so, yeah, it was it was him that kind of took um, Cinco de Mayo weekend and then Mexican Independence Day in September and made those. Kind of must sit. They were, they became the big dates in boxing. And I recently come across a, an article on Bad Left Hook uh, about the the top fights in of Cinco de Mayo weekend, and uh, the earliest one I could see on there was like 2003. So I think it was very much an Oscar De La Hoya thing, and he was very smart, very very smart fighter, Oscar, in terms of his marketing. He was obviously brought through by Bob Arum, and I said to somebody the other day, if you if you was a boxer and you were turning pro. Or your son. Say your son was turning pro as a boxer. Who would you want them to go with? And I would put them with Bob Arum seven days a week because he's so good at bringing a fighter through. Um, and you're right. Floyd Mayweather took it on. Canelo Alvarez took the weekend on. He, he kind of owns the weekend now. We was about to, you know, we were sp- supposed to be seeing uh, Canelo against Billy Joe Saunders this weekend. Um, was that a fight that interested you at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one that I've said for ages that Billy Joe could win. I know right. a lot of people think, like, what you know, what's this guy on? But I, I genuinely believe. I mean, uh, on his day, um, if he's if he's living the life, if his diet's good, he's not having to shrink down, and his head's in the right place, he's not messing around with the wrong people. Billy Joe Saunders has an absolute abundance of talent, and um, the only time that uh, Canelo lost was against Mayweather, so we can't look into that too much because he was basically he was about. 16 years old at the time you know so pretty green you know he, 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 he ginger but green but um yeah. but yeah he you know if we look at the way he's progressed and the weights he's gone through he's become a much more complete fighter but um you, you can't take away from the fact that he he's still you know the sort of stereotypical flat-footed mexican albeit phenomenally talented and uh and tough as hell but he's um, Sugar Ray Robinson. He's not. He does not bounce around on his feet. So has he been in with someone who can who can dance? And the answer is someone that can really dance. And the answer is not really. He's been around with a lot of guys who had a go at dancing and then planted their feet and bang, he was in there. But it, you're almost looking at the sort of Sugar Ray Leonard um, uh, versus Marvin Hagler type scenario there where you have someone with that phenomenally destructive power um, who loves fighting on the inside, but it's also pretty clever with their little steps and um that's the way i'd kind of see it but you'd have to have that peak billy joe in there to be able to do that otherwise he you know he, he has shown before he has you know he's he got clipped um and, and, and he can be hurt obviously he's never been beaten but if you get that peak billy joe in there forget about the you know um the fight that's that's non-comparable Lemieux, you, you shouldn't even mention him in the same sort of breath as uh as canelo yeah. but um but in terms of Billy Joe against uh, Canelo, I sincerely hope it's going to be a fight which does happen. Uh, maybe Cinco de Mayo, twenty twenty one. Whether it's behind closed doors, which in format, it's it's a fight which the fans will relish definitely.
0: Yeah, it's it would have been an interesting. What I was of the thinking that Canelo drops probably stops him, probably stops him in eight nine rounds. I don't don't. I was one of those people that that fought the opposite to you that that just kind of felt that canelo's the best fighter in the world um he doesn't i don't see him losing a fight for a long time um until he basically gets old overnight i think he's the best fighter in the world and i think he's just going to beat everybody that's in front of him but i see your point point. 100 percent, he has very very slow feet and you can't make someone's feet quicker his footwork's got better his ring generalship's better he's able to cut off the ring the only the only mover i can think of that that's at a similar level to Billy Joe Saunders is Erisandry Lara. I think yep. he's a he's a probably a similar level to Billy Joe Saunders. Um but Billy Joe's got very good feet. He's able to move you know really good fighters around. It's just a shame we've not seen Billy Joe Saunders in the in in with the best fighters in the world. And I worry about all of this time off, the long breaks between fights, it's gonna catch up with him eventually but it would have been an interesting fight it definitely would have been I was happy to see it I think he you probably just about deserved it more than Callum Smith did um Callum Smith the best super middleweight in the world for me but I just kind of felt that he just you know to to get what some felt was a gift against John Ryder doesn't earn you the the money fight does it
1: no I I mean it's funny because I was uh thinking about this the other day in terms of you know with Billy Joe uh, he he holds the, um the super middleweight world title and Canelo. Um, I'm not sure exactly what he holds at the moment because he's bouncing around divisions um, yeah. like a yo-yo, but, um, but at super middleweight, I started to think about sort of some of the recent super middleweights and in, in sort of years gone and how Canelo would have sort of done against them. Carl Froch against Canelo, that, that could have been one hell of a, a slug fest that would have put yeah. Canelo into the absolute test. Um. The other one I thought was, uh, was Joe Calzaghe against uh, Canelo. Uh, would he have pinged his head off all night? I I think um, it would have been interesting. I think Canelo would have done his best to try and cut the um the ring off, but I think Calzaghe would have would have been popping him. Um, mm. and then the other one I thought was um Andre Ward, and uh, he's a man who you can never predict how he's going to fight. He he's sometimes been in some stinkers in terms of really not entertaining. Um, yeah, but. Like, for example, when he fought against Carl Froch, everyone thought, oh, Froch is going to go and he's going to bust him up and he's going to do this. And even in the build-up, Froch said he's, all he's going to do is get on his bicycle, cycle back and just sort of, you know, try and nick points. And he did the unthinkable. He went in there and he stood toe-to-toe. He started working on the inside with, uh, yeah. with Froch. And Froch mm-hmm. didn't have the answer. So um, sometimes uh, Canelo likes a bit of a chess match. Over the years, he's enjoyed more being a counter-puncher than the yeah. offensive because uh, yeah. he, he's in control. So, um, but yeah, at, at the moment, um, if, you know, if we were talking sort of mortgage payments here and whatever else you, 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 the clever money would say to be betting it on Canelo all the time. But do I think that Billy Joe could beat him if he's, if he's peaking up? Yeah, I, I, I do. Would I bet my money on it? If I knew he was absolutely peaked? Yes, I would. Um, if I didn't know what state he was coming into the ring at and just saying he's just coming into the ring, then I'm not sure because I, it, the inconsistency of his training camps, et cetera, can go, up and down but on his day uh, I genuinely believe that he's got the footwork and the ability to be able to 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 win it on points
0: it's always always a worry for me when you talk about you hear you hear it with footballers as well when fit you know you know when you talk about footballers Darren Anderton when he was fit he was really good you know what I mean and when you when yeah. we say that about boxers when they're on when fit when switched on right camp it's always a worry for me, and I, I think going into a into a fight, because Errol Spence made a comment the other day about, oh, if I had a box Floyd Mayweather, I would have beat him if I was 100% focused. It was just such an odd thing to say, uh, to add that little asterisk to it, to add that thing to it, if I'm focused. And it's always a it's always a concern to me when we talk about athletes in that way. It makes me think there's a there's an but we know you know there's an issue and I, you know in the traveler community it's such a vibrant community and there's always something going on. And I think sometimes it some people thrive off it, like Billy Joe and like Tyson Fury, and some some uh, traveler fighters they get caught up in everything that's going on in the community and it, it becomes a distraction to them. Um,
1: yeah. I'm- Billy Joe, about, uh, when when which interview this was for, I really can't. It might have been for for Jimmy Tibbs, but, but yeah. we're going back a few years ago, and, and he was saying, he says, you know, sometimes you're there and you're with the other lads, and he says, and um, he says they might want to go for McDonald's. He said, so you end up having a bit of McDonald's, and yeah. uh, and you know, and you know, it's not the ideal sort of food, and I think that's probably why he's kind of skipped around geography, uh, maybe mm. sort of you know steering clear of those, um, temptations, but it's it's you know you mentioned about discipline of fighters in general there and i guess sports people in general i'm currently watching the netflix um the last dance with uh, michael jordan which is wow. absolutely phenomenal and um but you're looking at someone there who who lived a life um steer clear of the the sort of um, alcohol and drug infused uh, parties um yeah he sort of let his head down a tiny bit and did a little bit of gambling but he wasn't it it, it was never hair raising stuff and um and you look at Floyd Mayweather for all his foibles and whatever else, but the man was always in condition and probably still is now. And yeah. um, I remember one of the documentaries where you'd see him in nightclubs at two or three o'clock in the morning and he'd be there sort of drinking soda water, but it'd be a nightclub that he either owns or had a big share in. And then yeah. at three o'clock in the morning, he'd be, uh, he'd be running or he'd mm-hmm. be down the gym bagging the bag and he says, I'm praying when people don't. And it was, it was all this mentality of that and um that's what people don't realize about foy mayweather yeah he's got a big mouth he said a lot of crap over the years as well oh yeah but he has backed it up and when you're looking at a talent and um how he's done it and who he's taken on etc you, you you can't argue with it just how good a fighter he was yeah towards the last sort of 10 years you know the whole sort of defensive thing kind of took away a bit of uh, the, the how can I put the energy from watching him? I mean, that was one thing we were talking before about Oscar De La Hoya. When Oscar De La Hoya fought, you knew that this guy was going to be biting down his gum shield. His chin was tucked down. His eyes would be on fire. He had that long stance and you knew he was going to be loading up on power punches. Mm. And he would do that thing of like, like Barrera Morales, who are, you know, we're going to talk about. Um, He would do that thing of unloading the punches and knowing that sometimes you'd have to go in to take one so he could bang one back. Yeah. And uh, you always knew you're going to get some heat with him in the ring and uh, win, lose or draw. He was always going to sort of fight in that way. Um, whereas Mayweather kind of lost the uh, that sort of how can I put it, um, that creative energy towards the end. It, it almost became sort of uh, working in gears as opposed to um, just, just sort of not knowing when you're going to hit the revs up and down. It was always sort of fairly controlled, you know.
0: Yeah, it was. He, he, I think, I think hand injuries and shoulder injuries were a reason for that. Uh, I I think that's that's one reason for that. He couldn't, he couldn't throw in, and perhaps he just didn't have the energy. And you see in fighters as they get older, I think the first thing that I think one of the first things that goes, I think it's two things: the ability to pull the trigger. Um, Shane Mosley, classic example of that. He, He, he was, he just wasn't able to pull the trigger anymore, especially in the Mayweather fight, and they lose energy that the vitality in them to keep going forward and keep throwing shots Gennady Golovkin's a classic example of that you watch him in 2015 and then watch him in 2017 it's the energy is it drops 50 percent it's it's fascinating to see um and Delahoya was De La Hoya was that he didn't the energy just kind of left him, and it did with Floyd as well. So Floyd, he was so smart, like he was able to adapt. He was able to adapt his style because the hands were bad, or he didn't have the energy. He wasn't as fast anymore. The reflexes weren't there. Although I think his reflexes were always there. Um, it's it's it's. I think the the best thing about Floyd, and I don't want to talk about Floyd too much because we did on the last pod, but his ability to adapt and to change his style when he got into his late 30s. And I've just been talking to somebody on Twitter about the Canelo fight and it's probably the best performance of his career um for me because he just at 36 to dominate a 23 year old unified champion it was just so impressive but let's talk about Barrera Morales because it is Cinco de Mayo weekend and it's I did ask you I said if we're gonna do a podcast and we're talk about a classic fight Paul what would you pick and you picked Barrera Morales um I've watched uh I watched number one earlier and I just started watching number three while I was just sat here waiting for you to call um why did why Barrera Morales Paul ah uh,
1: it is i mean so I n- i'll never forget it was it was a day off my birthday but birthday's on the 18th february and um mm-hmm. it's, it was on the 19th um uh, just in case there's any people out there wanting to sort of send me presents or anything you <laughs> know, or uh letter bombs or whatever they fancy you know but um but no i, I remember um my, my dad telling me because I, I, I think i was working at the time and dad said to me he said i recorded a fight last night um this is on vhs for those people who need to google what a, VHS is, it's a cassette." <laughs> so, and, um, so he, um, he said, do you want to watch it? I remember coming back that night late and I started, okay, you know, I have a bit of food and uh, get a drink and, uh, you know, pop it in and press play. And, um, he said, you're not going to see a fight like this again. And I was thinking, okay, I've seen quite a few fights. So, you know, <laughs> now it's got to live up to the expectations. And, um, from the get go, it was, the only way I can describe it is when people watch the Rocky movies, they say, it's just so unrealistic because you, yeah. you see the guy taking a punch to the chin yeah. and realistically they would just go down from that. And that'd be the end of the fight, you know? And, um, so this one, one takes a punch to the chin and the other one takes a punch to the chin and then they absolutely go for it as if it's a car park and the referees are standing there not having to really do anything. And it was one of those ones where then when one did a barrage, the other one would cover up and then the other one would go for it. And then they would both be swinging punch at the same time. Yeah. And at the end of the first round I thought yeah, this is going to be Hagler Hearns. You know, this is, mm. this is three rounds, absolute maximum. And, uh, it went on for 12 rounds at that pace all the way yeah. through for me. Um, it, and this was a super bantam as well, it, which is it, it, incredible. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's not as if, uh, you know, you, you're talking about 122 pounds there. Eric Morales is five for eight. So yeah. that's what eight stone, 10 pounds, five for eight. That's just ludicrous. And he did look like a, a sort of sack of bones, you know? And then, um, yeah. You had Marco Antonio Barrera, who himself is five foot six, and um, you know, he, he was sort of fairly skinny, enough. and I think they both moved up in weights after that and, you know, became multi divisional champions. But um, yeah, the, the 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 actual fight itself, I actually edged uh, Morales um sorry, Barrera winning it by around possibly a case for two, but I just thought he did enough to uh to sort of basically to take it, there was bad blood between those guys, and I mean, you know, it's that classic scene. If you, you know, if you YouTube it, where they're at the press conference and yeah. um, Barrera slaps him around the face, and it, it wasn't just like a sort of little tickle; it was one of those slaps that would send you into next week, you know. And uh, and they absolutely kick off, you know. Now they've become mates and they do tours together and stuff, and whatever. But th- that was genuine, genuine bad blood. So you get two classic stand-up Mexican fighters who are a talented, can bang like a scrap uh you, you couldn't have asked for more you really couldn't have i mean for me that, that, that they were the epitome of of mexican fighters because that particular weight as well you know it, mexican fighters um i guess kind of like the japanese to it to an extent certain yeah. weight categories they're famous for and the the bantams the supers um the featherweights etc that's where it was all happening i um, there's only one other fight of that, that weight it was actually for that title that i can compare to yeah was um Paul Banky and uh, Daniel Zaragoza, Mm. who fought twice. Uh, They fought three times, actually. There was a trilogy between them as well. But the first two fights are comparable to Morales and Barrera. And if people haven't seen those, trust me, look them up. The first fight, Banky loses um, on a split decision. And um, everyone thought that Banky had won about about sort of five rounds. Uh, Daniel Zaragoza, Hall of Fame fighter, is inducted, I think, 2004. Um, You know, phenomenally tough, tough, tough fighter. And uh, anyway, had, they had the rematch in, in April 1990. And um, Paul Banky stopped Zaragoza in, in round nine of what was just a, an absolutely raw fight. Again, it was just, you know, the defence was hardly in existence. They were literally bang, bang, bang to each other's chin. Every time one got hurt, their way of defending was actually coming back at the other person because they didn't show a weakness. And there was a lot of that in this fight between Morales and, uh, and Barrera as well they if, if neither one of them wanted to sort of put their gloves up to show any defense because it would have shown the other one that the, the green light to sort of lay in so yeah it just i can watch that fight every day of the week and not and not get tired of it <laughs> uh, that's
0: like me watching mayor of a pacquiao watch it all day <laughs> i'm kidding my god um yeah i i worked I, like i said i watched it earlier on, and you was right about the referee he he doesn't really get involved at all he had a day off. yeah he did he had a day off and it wasn't because there wasn't anything to do there was plenty to do he just didn't he just kind of let him go for it and I think it was round 10 and uh, Eric Morales was having was starting to come on a bit because uh, you know Barrera was winning for me he was probably 6-3 up he was quite a, quite far ahead for me And Morales in in the championship rounds really came on. And then Barrera hit him with about four low blows in a row. And uh, I remember, you know, and I'm I'm a bit of a purist. Uh, I was out of my seat. Fuck's sake, ref. (laughs) You know, do something. But he just he i think sometimes referees you know, they're fans like we are and i think sometimes they get caught up in it and perhaps they just go do you know this is a classic i'm gonna let it i'm gonna let it go it's like um frank cappuccino when he talks about Gatti ward and he uh, there's the famous line from jim lampley and he says you can stop at any time frank <laughs> and frank frank cappuccino said in the documentary the hbo documentary he said they would have lynched me if i stopped that fight and I think yeah. sometimes, you know, referees, they're fans like we are, and they just realise, they realise what's in front of them and they're privileged to be there. Of course, they're going to keep them safe. Of course, they are. But they they know what they're watching and they, they want to let these guys go. Um, what, so, Barrera, you know, going into the fight, he was coming off, to, not directly, but he'd had two losses to Junior Jones. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that Eric, and Eric Morales was undefeated, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was. Um, so at the time, Morales was 35-0 uh, and, 0, and um, Barrera had uh, two losses back-to-back against Junior Jones. And that was a, a peak Junior Jones. Yeah, And that's uh, in 96 and 97 within about five months of each other. And um, Junior Jones had, uh, had lost a couple of fights, but he, he had about sort 44-45 of, fights respectively at that point. Uh, the first fight was a disqualification. Um, yeah. And the second fight was um, unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. that he, uh, he he won but uh, but either way you know it's back-to-back losses and uh, you know it, it, that was that so so he went in as the sort of marginal underdog but um if you're going to lose against somebody junior jones was, was a great guy to lose against but M- morales was that was uh, that was something that had been brewing for a while um you know but basically um there, were, there was two world champions in there both bringing um world titles to the table um Barrera beaten uh Britain's very own um, uh, Richie Wenton and yep. uh, you know he, he took the WBO uh, world super bantamweight title off him uh, and then finally enough the, the, the fight after he fights against Paul Lloyd at, at Albert Hall but um, long story short by the time he fights against um, uh, Morales you know he's, he's been he defended his title a few times and uh, it, it was a mouthwatering affair but I, I remember just sort of just skipping forward a little bit I remember in yeah. um, 2001 um, when the Nassim fight was uh, was organised, and at the time, at the beginning of the year, two fights had been announced. One was um, Lennox Lewis against Hassim Rackman, yeah. and the other one was uh, was Nassim against Barrera. And I remember at the time, a mate of mine, um, he said to me, he "says How do you think these fights are going to go?" And uh, and I'm not a betting man, you know. I, now and then, I might sort of you know quit here or whatever. Or I yeah. go to QPR, I might sort of, you know just have a bit of a. <laughs> uh, a five, of them, same. but otherwise, you know, I'm not one of these people that's down the bookie. So, and um, he said, well, How do you think this is going to go? And uh, and I said, um, Barrera will, will beat him. He'll beat uh, Hamed. And uh, and they went, This guy went, You he joking? He said, Naz. He says, i He's 35 fights, you know. It's, uh, he He won't lose. And he said, What's this other guy's record? I said, Well, he's, he's got three losses against his name. And he was like, ah, well, He's, he's going to lose, isn't he? I said, mm-hmm. Trust me. Trust me, I said, uh, he's never been in with someone I said who can work like this, you know. So, and obviously, you know, he, he did an absolute number of them. And the other one was, uh, um, so yeah, my mate stuck 20 quid on, um, uh, he, he thought Nas was going to win, but he stuck 20 quid because I'd said that. Yeah. and um, and I think he got like two to one odds on Barrera or two and a half, whatever it was, five to two. Yeah. And then, um, the other one was uh, Lennox. And um, the only reason I said that I thought Lennox was going to lose. It's because at the time he was out filming um oceans 11 yeah. and uh and then uh I'd, I'd seen footage of rackman having gone over to like south africa for about three months in advance of saying doing all the altitude training which you just can't mess around with yeah and um and also um uh, in the weeks before lennox um literally decided to come over a handful of weeks before and they posted training he was there doing tours of like the uh, the townships with um uh, Nelson Mandela and he was you know doing the whole PR thing and then I always remember um the first round Lennox was there his, his gumshield, uh, his mouth all open up and he had his hands down and I thought everybody boxing you know you never want to be flash you know so you look at Daniel Dubois he's young one thing he always does is keep his hands up he doesn't want oh, yeah. toy people I mean you know and um and the next thing I saw this big right hand coming in the first round and I thought that's gonna if that connects that's gonna <laughs> that's, that's gonna level him out and then the next thing, bang, it did. And then that was it. So my mate, I think, stuck like fifty quid on on that one. And um, yeah, it, from then on, he was like, you know, any tips you can give me? So um, yeah, I think I've made him a few quid over the years. I, I should probably start thinking commission. You should have got ten yeah? percent.
0: Really, you should have got at least. 10%. I should have
1: ten percent would have been a decent thing. Admittedly, um, uh, he's always treated me well, this bloke. So uh, he'll probably <laughs> paying back in beers, you know. But um, but yeah, that that but that was um, yeah my, my memories of the Nassim fight with Abare. I mean, he. Varela went up into the mountains, and he was living in a you know like a little dorm with just the bare minimum of uh, of, of of luxury. And um, Nassim had, had, had uh, hired out Bing Crosby's old villa in uh, in Las Vegas, and he was you know he had all kinds of goodies and you know pool tables and all sorts of things, and that's it. And it, it was just a shame because I think maybe he'd lost uh, he lost that hunger from what he had in years before, and see you know it's the old thing with a peak Nassim of beating and whatever else. I don't think Naz was unpeaked. I think that maybe his interest had gone. Yeah. And uh, and that's it. But but either way, even at his best, it would have taken a lot to have beaten Barrera that night, without a doubt. Yeah.
0: And he'd left, he'd left the Ingles by then, hadn't he, Naz? He was with Manuel Stewart, wasn't he, at the time? If I remember. Yeah,
1: right. and, he, and he kind of wasn't listening to him in the corner. He had two people in his corner that night, in fact. Uh, he had Manny Stewart and he had... Um, it was now. He, he, he had another trainer in there as well, and they were doing sort of in and outs um, for every yeah, round. Strange. That was it. Uh, very, very. And good. then when um, when Nas was getting disheartened, and he tried doing a few of the dirty tactics, then Barrera stepped it up, and he started like banging it in the back of the head. And uh, you know, the referee was sort of saying, you know, to both of them, stop doing this. And Barera was looking going well You tell him. You know what I mean? If you tell him, if he behaves, I'll behave. Otherwise, you know, we'll go dirty on this. That was that. So, but yeah, that that. Those two guys, um, Barrera Morales. Uh, f- for me, that is probably my my number one fight of all time, actually, and that's quite a statement. Um, but uh, and yeah, and like I said, for those who haven't seen Paul Daniels Daniel Zaragoza, uh, watch number one and number two, um, but especially number two, and you, you you're going to see something which falls into that slipstream of um, Barrera Morales, very very closely.
0: I learned something from one of your books, and I want you to tell the people. Why did uh Marco Antonio Barrera have
1: Tapia on the back of his shorts? Because that's actually a surname. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh not a lot of people um know that. And uh I mean, you know, you, you were talking before about um, you know, let's say for example, fighters that go in there and they go absolutely crazy. Tapia um was was another one who um outside of the ring was absolute lovely. And uh yeah, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, you know, wasn't called Vida Locker for nothing. You know, he he had a very precise item as well. But he he was known for literally giving the shirt off his back. You know, I can't remember if that story's in the book or not, but it was one time he was in a supermarket and some guy said, oh, a nice shirt. And you could tell that this guy didn't have much money. And he literally took off the shirt and he's come home. He gave it to this guy and he's come home and Teresa's wife's gone, where's your shirt? You know, you left with a shirt and you don't have one. He went, yeah, he said, this guy needed a shirt. So I took it off and gave it to him. And that's the sort of guy he was. But but when he fought against Marco Antonio Barrera, um, because they were you know they, they were both of Tapia stock, were, there was a strong belief in that fight that uh, Marco um, went a bit easy on him and not carried him for the distance, but intentionally didn't want to go for the knockout. So he was delivering a lot of body blows and um, traded and made it into a good fight. But um, he, he respected Johnny so much, and they were very good friends. And um, he, he knew Johnny was was a past great world champion, and mm-hmm. although he'd won. He, sued, he won the featherweight title against Manuel Medina sort of fairly closely. To that, um, yeah. he he, he realised that you know he was sort of a little bit sort of over the hill, but but yeah, Tapia was the, the surname, um, and uh, he, he always had that on there.
0: So you said that you felt um, the first fight, you felt that Barrera just won it. Is that right?
1: Yeah, i i gave him I gave him a, I, 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 I There's a case for two rounds. Uh, But I I gave it 7-5 to uh, Barrera, like a solid seven rounds in there. Um, Split decision. um, You know, if you look at the faces at the end when the the announcements are coming up and the the scores are being read, um, Morales kind of looked like he was ready to accept a defeat. And um, it was was one of those ones where I think Morales probably realised that he got away with the better end of the decision there. And um, and, and that was it. But yeah, I, I... For me, I think that Barrera, it's not a case if he had his number, but I think he just sort of, he had that little bit more energy between them when they fought, you know, and you've got to look at Morales. This is not some tin pot fighter here. I mean, you know, he beat Manny Pacquiao, um, he, phenomenal, phenomenal fighter who could operate at a number of levels. He had the height, he had the power. Um, he, he fought too long towards the end as a lot lot of people did and, uh, and that's it. You know, you see him now, yeah, he's podgy wearing the old loose shirts, whatever that's good on him. He's, uh, you know, but he's not doing anything stupid. He's just kind of relaxing. And, uh, and that's it. And like I said, you know, him and De Barreira now go around and do the double act together. And I think that's, 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 that, that's fantastic. You know, it's both of those guys are people that, it, and, and I've spoken to a lot of people in the boxing trade about this. I remember speaking to Teresa Tappy about it, Marco Antonio Barrera and, and him saying, and her saying about him, you meet the guy and he's so softly spoken and he's you it's sometimes hard to believe he's actually a boxer and um you know someone who trained to be a lawyer and whatever else and and um a good family man and all that sort of stuff the second he got in that ring something clicked and Mm -hmm. bang he turned into an animal there was that look on his face where his eyes would open up wide and it was almost like rocky marciano to an extent again the most courteous person you could ever meet on the planet and the next thing this guy would start ripping people's heads off and you want to talk about dirty fun and Marciano was probably the purveyor of, uh, of dirty tactics. I mean, you know, elbows below the belt, whatever, whatever it took to win, he would do it. And, uh, 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 not to mention he, he had the power from hell to knock people out, but outside of there, you know, he was just one of the softest guys around And as Barrera Morales, those sort of people as well outside the ring. I've heard nothing but good stories about these people.
0: Mm, no, it's, uh, it's sometimes, like you said, it's like a switch, and uh, I think people that perhaps come from a poorer background, it's like they're fighting for their next meal, or and I think they realise if they don't win the fight, then they're not going to get paid as much next time, and so every fight matters, and it's just something that's in them, isn't it? Um, it how about the trilogy? So how how do you score? How do you score the trilogy? Do who do you think got the better of it?
1: Um, I, I actually thought that the trilogy panned out in terms of scores. I thought it, it was actually a lot fairer. I mean, so, but won a majority decision, um, when they fought in, in 2004 mm-hmm. and when they fought in 2002, we got a unanimous decision. Um, so the, 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 when they fought in 2002, that was for the WBC and um, featherweight title. So yeah. they, they'd gone up uh, another four pounds. And then when they fought in uh, in 2004, it was for the WBC super feather. So they, yeah. they fought three world titles and three weight divisions. Um, so uh, I, I can't think of any other fighters who actually followed each other through the weight division at world level like that, you know. So, but um, the I, I, I personally think the fights and the results from then on were were well done. Uh, I think you know he, he had a little bit too much for for the next fight. I think it was just the the, the pressure for him uh, when he moved up by four pounds. Um, Barrera was just raw muscle. I, I still think Eric Morales at that point was still a bit weight drained and uh he should have gone from super bantam to to super feather um uh, or even lightweight to be honest he was just he, fitting in the frame the way he did was, was was ridiculous so but um yeah i i i think the results of the next one's good again still very very entertaining fight. you know those two are always going to provide that without a doubt you know so um but yeah i i i've, I've got to admit the as as people who would go down into the Mexican folklore, those two without a doubt. I remember at the back of uh, I think it was Morales. No, yeah, Morales um, shorts. I think he had Tijuana on there, and yeah. uh, it, which was just fantastic. You know, you're not going to get more of a, a grittier uh, sort of boxing base to, to go to. You know, sort of dirty end of town where fighting is as, as common as drinking water. You know, it's uh, or maybe drinking La cerveza, You know, so but mm-hmm. um, they're, they're really the the both of them together locking horns um yeah if you haven't seen it watch it if you've seen it watch it again it's overdue and i I mean that even if you've seen it an hour ago
0: absolutely i think what better time than right now a lot of us you know a lot of us like myself we're kicking around at home we are work yeah we're working from home but we're kind of kicking about at home we can't go out we can't go to watch any live boxing we're not can't go to the football what better time is there to catch up on classic fights that perhaps you've not seen or seen before you know, or not seen in a long time. And that was me with barre Marana's not seen it for a long time. So I thought let's put that on and and kind of get re engage with it again. Um you we were just talking about, you know, these guys are both legendary fighters now, they're both friends. Um they're I'm pretty sure they're both in the Hall of Fame now. Um they've changed the rules on the Hall of Fame from five years to three years. Did you hear about that?
1: Yeah. Um what did you think about I mean, that? I I don't know, I I think it's kind of like I don't know, Um, there's a lot of fighters which uh, are probably Hall of Fame worthy um, halfway into their careers to a better extent, you know, Bernard Hopkins probably one of them, Floyd Mayweather, etc and it's one of those things that you know, if a person retires and decides to come back, so say for example you know, can you be inducted twice to a better extent let's say George Foreman could have technically been inducted when he was off for like, you know a number of years Um, and then sort of, you know, be gone into the hall of fame and then come back and it and that's it but um i uh, to me three to five years ne- neither here nor there to be honest you know um that's another thing i you know what i've I've done a lot of things with boxing but i haven't made the pilgrimage to um canastota and yeah. uh this this is the year i was thinking about doing it and obviously it's been cancelled now um it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, within the boxing world now you know just bridging off from that what's going to happen in terms of fights I'm talking about dillian white fight behind closed doors in July um obviously there was the fight in nicaragua recently where they showed i think it was 90 percent of the hall was empty so they could fit people in everyone wearing masks chocolate tito ringside yeah. um how would it work i mean they're talking about i mean I, the british boxing board of control saying you won't be able to spit in a bucket it's the most stupid thing and what i, what I find stupid about that is that the guy who's at the top of it is uh, is robert smith who's a former professional fighter himself you know the yeah. man fought against lord hannigan he was a good fighter and I, I really like Mr. Smith. I think he's an absolutely lovely guy. And I think he's got great integrity. But think about it. What are you doing when you're in the ring? Every time someone throws a punch, you make a noise. You go, yeah. you're doing this. And every time you're doing that, you get a load of flob. that's either coming out your nose or it's coming through your gum shield. So you're getting the droplets which are flying there. So spitting into your bucket, into a corner where people have got gloves on and will have face masks somewhere else and probably glasses, um, it's not going to put anyone at risk bearing in mind is everyone else is sort of, you know, is away. way there, you know, there's not going to be spectators there and whatever. So I think, well, what are, what are they supposed to do? swallow it? You know yeah. what I mean? It's, uh, it's ridiculous. Or they're going to get like the dentists, you know, they're going to sort of suck it out of their mouth. Let them spit in the damn bucket. So whoever's got the bucket, you give them the full face mask, uh, give them a bloody motorcycle helmet if need be. But you know, you've got to let them do the spitting. I don't think that should be the main concern. I think it should be the people who are in attendance, you got to think to yourself, right? You know, sort of maximum coverage here and spreading. So the people in attendance, as long as they're sort of, you know, social distancing, as long as there's big gaps, maybe even sort of, you know, three or four meters, should be extra safe at the beginning, and then see sort of how it goes from there. But um the the fighters, uh, if they if they have an actual COVID test before going in, and yeah. on the day itself, you know, that the fever is checked and that all other symptoms and you know that they they check their lungs to make sure there's no fluid now whatever if they've given a complete bill of health and they they've had the, the the blood tests and whatever to say they don't have the virus they're not contagious whatever then yeah. they can crack on uh, i think that's you know i'm not the medical expert but that's my understanding they have the capacity to crack on and yeah. that's it so um the the whole logistics and supply chain of of boxing has been affected and going to be affected i mean you know media has started to to crumble Uh, obviously my beloved uh um uh uh, contributions to uh to boxing monthly over the years are now coming to a a sad end and um and you know there's a a few other people i've been writing for i'm still thankful that i'm still sort of writing with them you know with the the fantastic zen from uh, from british vintage boxing still privileged to be writing um for for him and uh, and his great company but boxing monthly i'm really really sad with that was six years i was writing for them and um you know, it's a great publication, and uh, maybe it's signifying the end of paper print. I don't know. Um, yeah. Who knows? To be honest, but uh, with uncertain times. Boxing's got a, um, a wobbly landscape. It will work out, of course, it will. Um, time, you know, will heal everything. But I think we're going to remorph into a different shape when we come out the other end.
0: Yeah, print media's been—it's been clinging on, hasn't it? For a, for. A, um... For a long time it's been clinging on hasn't it in recent years and you know our dear friend Mark Butcher you know who's in many ways Mr Boxing Monthly I've never known anyone to to love a publication as much as Mark, uh, Mark loves Boxing Monthly Um and he said that that Glenn Leach you know the the editor of Boxing Monthly was the editor for such a long time he said that he gives it two years after after you know he gave it two years just before he passed away and it ended up going for like four or five and it was it was a little engine that could wasn't it boxing monthly you know it, it when you thought perhaps that would might be the end it would just keep going what's your best memories of writing for boxing monthly what's some of perhaps some of your favorite pieces
1: um so m- my first one's always going to be um it's probably the, the most special um yeah the reason for that at the time i was uh jimmy tibbs book came out that year in 2014 and Start uh, started getting correspondence. I was um, just starting to get correspondence with Glyn Leach. Um, yeah. It was a, a common ground of QPR between us. And then he, he passed away very soon after that and started dealing with Nigel and uh, and Graham. And, um, uh, you know, Hall of Fame writer Graham dealing with him, ph- phenomenal, you know, learned yeah. so much from the man. He's just uh, a lovely, good, good man who's, you know, he's all about the boxing and has an extraordinary talent with the um, with, with the pen. Um, but at the time, uh, they they'd sort of said to me, you know, Suggest a piece, and I I designed controversial. I I did um, one about ring girls. It was called Here Come the Girls, and um yeah. so I, I interviewed three um, card girls, and uh, and basically created this piece. and And, and they said, yeah, it, this is good. You know, it's uh um we, we'd like to do another one, and um and that was it. So I think I did James Gale from there, and that was that. Ones that really stand out. There's one I one interview I did about a guy called Ray Merrill Jr. So that name's not going to stand out. Uh, okay anybody um to be honest on you know you'd have to i think it's actually ray Merrill jr (laughs) the third so somebody had had, had, had contacted me on linkedin and said i've got a story for you and i thought here we go i get this every day someone wants me to write a book or whatever else and and it's usual crap and then it turns out the story is really not that interesting but this person um well i I never dismissed them until i sort of you know had a read but uh or listened to them a little bit and this person said. there's this guy in in he comes from Inglewood, California. His name's Ray Merrill, Jr. Uh, can I put you in touch? So anyway, um, the person sent me over this little video clip on YouTube, and uh, so it turns out that Ray is um uh is deaf and um, has a hearing aid, and his brother's deaf, and his mother's deaf. So growing up in Inglewood, the the big issue was that um, he would be doing signs with his brother, and then a lot of times on the streets. Um, The gang thought they were throwing up signs. Oh, wow. uh, Right. This was obviously a problem. And his dad had been in prison and uh, he thought, okay, uh, time to get out of it. So um, he ends up, and you're going to like the next bit for one word, he ends up at the Mayweather gym. Oh, wow. And um, so he's there and he starts, um, he goes one day and uh, and he says, I'd like to come in and train. And uh, so... I think it was um Roger Mayweather at the time. He was there, and he sort of says, "Okay, let's 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 see what you got." And so Ray Mel Jr. is six foot three, and what weight does he fight? He's a featherweight. Whoa. So, <laughs> not so he goes in there, and he he, he bangs the pads, and uh, Mayweather goes like, "Damn," and he said, uh "You got a lot of power there, like a lot of power." Mm. He says, "You're not taking anything, are you." And he's like, "No." He says, "You sure?" And uh, in exact words, of Ray, he says he says i'll take a blood test i'll take a piss test he says i'll even take a shit test if you want <laughs> uh, and he says but he says I'm, I'm all natural so anyway um he said can you train me and he went nah he said we got we got too much on at the moment man we got too much on so ray had only had a handful of amateur fights so right. and they're uh, de- desperate to uh, desperate to fight and uh, there's certain things in there, like for example i um i said uh, how did you know like you know the end of a round you you know i I mean it respectfully but you're deaf. this is all i did the whole interview on email we did a lot of extended sort of uh to and and he was great with me and um and he said i could feel he says your senses go on overload and he says um i could feel the the vibrations of the buzzer at the end of the round and he says and i knew he said i could feel it through through my feet and uh and that was it they wouldn't even have to sort of like you know someone step in before the referee was even there i'd already stopped but, um, anyway, he was knocking people out left, right, and center on this few amateur fights he had. But so anyway, um, what happens is Mayweather comes out of the gym one day and, um, he sees Ray, um, in his car and, uh, he doesn't really think anything of it. And, uh, he says, you know, see you later, kid. And then he comes in the morning and he sees this same car is out there, windows all steamed up. And he knocks the window, he says, Do you sleep out here. And he went, yeah. He said, well, where are you staying? He says, here and he's like oh jesus said uh, okay come into the gym so uh, basically uh, mayweather um said right you can stay here at least there's a shower in there and you can sleep in yeah. the gym you're going to be safe and that was it so so it, it was a great great story and the best bit was that um he never really had any mass publicity before and i'd got a guy who'd done some great photos of him to give me photos for nothing and he was delighted about that and um in the end uh, I I said you know I'd love to get a copy sent and um these were the days um where you well to be honest these were the days that I'd always been like you, you you didn't get any freebie copies from boxer monthly so I, I went down to WH Smith and I bought um, a couple of copies one for myself and one um for for Ray and I said I've got a copy for you I'd like to send it and he said you know what don't send it to me he says if I give you my mum's address in Inglewood can you send it to her right. so um anyway basically he gave me the address and I, I, I popped it in and. Uh, it took a week or so to get to inglewood and um you know i could see the address so you know i did little google maps and it wasn't you know the, the prince of bel-air's um, yeah. neighborhood you know so and um anyway he, he got back and he said my mom was in tears when she received that she said you know she's so proud of me and you know it drops a tear in my eye as well and and whatever else and so that was certainly one of the most rewarding pieces i ever did, and it was also one of those ones to remember at the time sending it to Graham, he wasn't one hundred percent convinced because obviously you're looking for the big name, but he liked it because it was so different. He said, "People read that, and that's probably one they'll remember in the years." And uh, and that's it. So that was certainly a rewarding one. Other ones that I've really enjoyed. Um, I remember interviewing Deontay Wilder uh, literally as he was stepping off a plane. I could hear him walking along, like you could hear the jets turning off in the background of his private jet as he was, you know, sort of coming off the plane and whatever um that, that was a good interview um uh crikey um andre ward always 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 good ones with him uh, speaks so much sense and uh you know he, he speaks tactics perfectly and whatever um anthony josh is interesting he can get a bit philosophical sometimes and when he does that he kind of comes off the point and that's not great because you're only a you only, only ever got a short time window with there uh, with joshua yeah. so um if he does that you've got to kind of let him talk and then try and Create the piece of what you have afterwards. Uh, Calzaghi, always brilliant. Uh, Whenever I've met with him, always given me loads of time. Um, I did a couple of good pieces. I did one with him about uh, August last year, actually went up to Wales and see him and uh, just around the corner from where he lives and we sat down, had a couple of coffees and uh, uh, that was good. Uh, Again, another one who speaks total sense and when you listen to him speak tactics, it kind of makes sense as to why he's that good a fighter um artist you know so many good memories uh, another one i really enjoyed i i managed to track down uh lorenzo uh, zanon who was a former european heavyweight champion and he lives in brazil now and um interviewed him and i did the piece in italian and english for the website um but uh, another memorable one for me larry holmes um for a few reasons uh so i remember it was the day after the british Boxing Writers Club um, dinner in 2017, and it was at the bx star gym up in town. And uh, Geraldine uh, Davis had promised to get me an interview. And originally, I was supposed to be first in line. I was like, I was there about five o'clock, and should have been in, and that was it. And then all the uh, the heavy artillery sky BBC were there with the big cameras, and they kind of jumped in. And and um, so it gets appointed to the point. It's about nine o'clock, and I've done enough of schmoozing and shaking hands and photos and enjoying myself and thinking i've had enough now this is bullshit i'm going home i haven't had my interview with um with larry holmes i didn't come here to interview the same old people all over again so joe didn't go to get a good interview i said you know what joe i said i didn't i said i know it's not a force you know people pulling you from side to side she went no 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 she said i spoke to his, his person you should have been interviewed you should have done it by now so um so she goes come over me right now so she grabs and pulls me over larry's sitting there i think I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I've, I've seen him walking in my head, by I have hands I'm thinking it's Larry Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so, um, so there he was sat down and he, he stands up, shakes a hand and uh, he said, what's your name? And uh, so I got a card out and I handed it to his agent, who's um, Jane Newman. And he looks it straight away and he goes, Paul says, you any relation to Lorenzo Zanon? And I said, uh, I said, you know, I've never done the genealogy. I said, that possibly. And he looked, and he went, you write autobiographies? And I went, yeah. He said, we'll, ta- we'll have a talk later. And it, th- th- that talk, just for the records, was he wanted me to write um, Larry Holmes' autobiography. It had been done um, 20 years prior, but he wanted me to, to do an updated version. Long and short of it is, we couldn't get the traction with the publishers, but to be, I've, I've got a text on my phone still now saying Larry's looking forward to working with whatever else. It, you know, that was just a, a, incredible as, as, a, as a side note. but But on that evening, I sat down, and um, Larry goes to me. Have you eaten? I'm like, no. He says, should we get some food? I'm oh, like, God. Larry, I'm just asking if we want some food. So, and I was like, yeah, of, co- of course, champ. So anyway, um, he calls the lady over. It's there, you know, p- providing all the, uh, the the food and uh, and says, excuse me. He says, uh, what have we got? And so she's going because BXR has got this whole thing of like multi grain, this that and the other, very nutritious sort of meals. She goes, oh, well, we could do you like the I don't know, the five-seed salad with this, and you could see his face, and he goes, and you got, like, burger and chips or something, burger <laughs> fries or something, like and he said, we we can do burgers, so anyway, um, he goes, what would you like? I said, I'm down with the burgers and fries, and then she said, uh, what would you like to drink? And he said, a Budweiser would be fantastic, so he said, I'm afraid we, we're not doing alcohol down here, we can do, like, a, a, can I suggest that, like, the wheatgrass and ginger shake or whatever, what the hell it was, and his face was like, nah, uh, I'll just have, like, a Pepsi or something, so Oh, and yeah, I said everything he's having, I'll have as well. So, um, she said, Get me. so she said, he, he, he just confirmed it and said to her, Get my man, the you know, the burger and fries and the coke as well. So, I thought, Larry Holmes just ordered me dinner, that's one for the record. Oh. So, and um, so yeah, we sat there and I asked him about the famous puncher when he got hit by um, Ernie Shavers and we thought a little bit about Muhammad Ali and. Um, you know, training with him up in Deer Lake and it, it was incredible. And um, you know, I remember seeing him there, he had his WBC ring on and um just shaking hands with him. And when he was talking about I asked him a question about his jab and he was he, there sitting there, he's in his sixties, and he flicks a jab out, and I was looking thinking, Wow, oh, Christ, you know, even now he's still got that speed in it. So that was one of my certainly without a doubt, my face-to-face interviews I'll never forget for Boxing Monthly. And that was just for the for the website. Um yeah, it's, you know what, sad times here, the memories, uh, sad times that the, um, the the magazine is folding up, but I've got some great memories in there. And probably it, it afforded me the opportunity to go and see some matches abroad as well. I, I went to the World Boxers Super Series in Latvia. Me and Chris Williamson, absolutely smashed it. I loved that. One of the best live world title fights I've seen um, with uh, Usyk against uh, Breeders. I actually thought that it was a case of Breeders to win it by a rounder, but either way, phenomenal fight great atmosphere uh i went to nuremberg to see callum smith and again great atmosphere the world box super series there i went to a, a tiny little show which was promoted by mark demori in, um, yes. in in, in uh, croatia and the biggest thunderstorm ever broke out at about 11 o'clock at night for one hour solid and it was it went from 35 degrees to raining and then it stopped and steam was literally coming off the uh, the ring apron and an hour later, bang, all the fires are under. We, we, they fought till two in the morning. I have fond memories of sitting there on this long table afterwards, eating steak, fries, and, and vegetables, and sinking loads of beers until about five o'clock in the morning with all the fighters. It was phenomenal. Um, going to Monte Carlo, uh, seeing Martin Murray fight, uh, all these different things. And, you know, yeah. uh, under the guise of Boxing Monthly, I was able to do that. So um, the closing of a chapter um the memory's always there and uh, uh, the people i've got to meet along the way you know people like yourself cal we would have never got to have met had it not been for boxing monthly so um, i sincerely hope there'll be other platforms in the future which will allow that to happen as well but you know it's kind of like a bit of r.i.p boxing monthly the magazine but um but thank you for all the memories on the way you know
0: Absolutely, and the and the 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 legacy lives on not just in the memories and not just in the the magazine, you know the physical magazine, and people will, will dig it out and they'll read it again, but it, it it lives on in all the friendships that it's created. You know, myself and you and and Mark and Chris William Chris Williamson and Luke and Andrew Harrison and everybody. You know, we have our WhatsApp group and it's great fun and well that that's the legacy of it as well as all the brilliant journalism and like i said in the intro to the last podcast the the name boxing monthly was so, it's so respected not just in england but everywhere in the world and all i had to say was i'm callum from boxing monthly and people would give me time yeah and that says everything that's it. all i'd have to do is say that i'm Callum from boxing monthly online and that's it oh yeah no that's it yeah yeah Callum, yeah, you can go there. You go to this. You can go to this fight. Here's here. You go to this fight. You can interview this boxer. Go in this gym. Do this. Do that because it's respected because of all the work that people like yourself and Glynn and and uh, Graham Houston and Mark and everybody have done, and Sean Brown and everybody. Um, and I think that's the legacy. I think that's the legacy of it. And uh, I think that's a good way to end, Paul. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're pushing, absolutely. We're, Getting up to the hour now, so I think that's a good time. Um, just before we go, just tell us what you're working on now. What, sh- what we should be expecting from you?
1: So, uh, I've actually been on a bit of a unintentional sort of hiatus from um, from boxing books this year. Um, mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm actually working with two very high ranking officers from the US Army who served in the hellhole prison of uh, in Iraq called Abu Ghraib back wow. in two thousand three, stroke four. And so, we're talking everything from. Uh, rocket-propelled grenades to mortar attacks on a daily basis, etc. And these two guys are just uh, f- absolutely phenomenal. I've, I've never worked in the military before. And I think this part, partly is to do with the character of the two individuals I'm working with as well. Very, very highly ranked officers. And they're very responsive, very honest people, great integrity. And, um, yeah, currently in the process of, uh, sort of looking to get a publisher with them. And um, and that's it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also writing a private commission for a family um based in south africa uh just a legacy document um that the, the the children have commissioned me to write for their father and um and and that's it so yeah so that's that's what i'm at the moment i've got three people who are literally asking me at the moment to write the autobiography boxes uh, former world champions and um maybe that'd be a 2021 thing so but for the moment it's all about getting the two books i'm currently working with over the line can't wait all right thank you so much paul Thank you, Cal. Really always good to speak to you, mate. And uh, look forward that we can um, we, we we can meet again over a beer whenever that may be. Oh god, absolutely, I can't wait. I need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, my friend. Take care, take care mate. Good to speak to you. Taye, bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.